mission of God in your life. That's freedom at its center. Freedom at its center. <clears throat> Should I live on this side of the city or the others? I don't know. What do you theologically and biblically value? Oh, okay. Oh, I'm your idea. Okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> I mean, so, so, so the question is, what do you value? In other words, what does the Father value? If you value incarnational ministry, then that means you, that, that actually applies to that. But ain't nobody going to tell you where to live. Should I live over here? You know what I'm saying? Because I would, you know. I... <laughs> Listen, when God gives you freedom, let me just free you up, family. When God gives you freedom, he gives you a huge old circle. He said, whatever you want up in that circle. Whatever you want. If it's outside the circle, you know it ain't me. <laughs> when you're looking at two opportunities that are with two or three or four or five opportunities that are within the circle, and this goes back to Pastor Deuce's message on decision-making in the will of God, you say, based on particular biblical values that I have, which one is a better opportunity for that? If you're a man, you're like, is this going to help me get a wife? Amen. Because <laughs> if you're making $6 an hour, but you get to spend time with the saints, that might not be the job. That may be the first one you take at first. Then you move, you know what I'm saying? Like, if that's the only one. Like, you got three and the number one paying a 15 an hour. You know, I ain't got to pay for that for a few seconds. You know what I'm saying? $10 difference. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. But what you got to begin to do is you got to begin to learn the skill. You got to be learning the skill of what it means to walk in God's bounds of freedom. <coughs> Because this is important. Which school should I go to? I don't know. Have you looked at it and see if, based on the way God has divinely designed you and shaped you, that that would be the best opportunity to help you maximize God's glory? Choose it. Are you going to get in an extra amount of debt uh, because of it in a way that when you finally finish, you're not able to enjoy it? Think about that. But you've got to think about all of those different things. But I'm just giving you some examples of freedom. I want to see people enjoying the Christian life. I'm sick of people dragging up. How you doing? Pray for me, Pastor. (laughs) I mean, now, all of us go through stuff. So I'm not saying we don't go through things. But I got an issue when you always waited. When something, every time I turn around, you ain't enjoying the Christian. Enjoy it. But most people can't enjoy what they don't know. That's why only the truth you know will set you free. That's why you got to know the truth. So that the truth can free you up to enjoy something that you have a picture of based on what God actually likes in school with. That's key, y'all. And you got to walk in it and enjoy it. Take advantage of it. Get on the grind with it. Whatever God takes weights off your listen, listen, when I first started walking with Jesus, you know, at first, you know, I just I just started walking with Jesus. I I stopped hanging with, with, with my frat brothers. You know what I'm saying? I was like, man, I get around them. I'm gonna be smoking, I'm gonna be dying there, and back there. I said, I gotta fall back. You know what I'm saying? Sweethearts all over the place. And I, I said, see, I can't be up in there. Smacking smacking dudes on I said, man, I can't be up in there. Because if I get up in that joint, I'm going to be up in there drinking. Come in, come in, come in. Wham! Take, give it. I said, so I got to back up. That, that ain't free for me. That ain't free for me. I ain't, I ain't free to do that. 
Because the Bible says that's the image of God that I'm beating the snot out of. Amen. That's a whole nother lesson. Some of y'all angry already. <clears throat> so I had to be, and so I said, man, yo, but then I was hungry for relationships. I was like, dang, everybody I hung with was right there. I'm looking around, I saw, I said, God, I need some dudes. There's mad women all across the campus. I said, I don't need to be doing life with them. Because the way I want to do life ain't biblical. So you got to find me some dudes. Lord, I need some dudes that love you, that ain't no suckers. Lord, I need to be able to walk with some dudes that, that, that actually be in their Bible, not telling me the Lord told them a bunch of stuff that ain't in the Bible. I need some dudes that's going to walk with me, that's going to talk. I need some mentors too, God. I need some. And so, and then all of a sudden, I was lonely for a season. And so I got in the Bible. I said, God, all I know is I said, I need to go to the gatherings to get with the saints. I know that. So I'm, 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 I need to work. I need to finish school. <clears throat> I said, but I, but I really need discipleship relationships. I need people that can pour into me, and then I want to be able to have the opportunity. And God, after a while, began trickling people in. And I said, God, don't just send, like, the, the goofy dudes. I don't mean no harm. I needed some cool guys to be around. Now, I ain't being funny. But then, as I grew spiritually, I could appreciate the dudes that wasn't as cool. Because I understood the Bible. God looks at the heart. I was looking at, I was like, oh, come on, fam. I'm walking around the campus. He's like, come on, brother, let's go over to. Man, come on, let's go. I'm like, oh, shh, shh, shh. Fall back, man. You loud. Fall back. Y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, because I was fresh off the auction block. So any minute, I'd have been back out there wilding, just wilding. And so I needed. (laughs) And I prayed for everything. So I prayed for everything. And so, but I wanted to maximize, excuse me, y'all, um, what it means to walk in biblical freedom. Because I know some of y'all right there right now. Y'all working through it. And you got to be able over time to learn the skill. And you can only be obedient to the biblical revelation that God has shown you at that time. Don't get innovative. You know, innovation is going beyond the Bible. See, first... Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 says, these things I've written to you that you may not fall far from the things which are written. Because he knew that he knew that he valued the, uh, the, 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 the gifts over 1 Corinthians. But Paul says, listen, if your gifts is telling you to do something that the Bible doesn't, then your gift is lying. That's a whole nother story. Amen. So but then but then we saw in that first verse, we saw in that first verse that um, that we got to walk in God's ordained boundaries. That's the one that he has certified. That's the one that he has made legal for you and I. So we got to walk in those boundaries based on what Paul was saying here. <coughs> Paul says in verse 2, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage of you, to you. He says, I testify 
again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So he's talking about the anatomy of what it looks like to be put under, under, um, under slavery, right? But now, this brings me to my next point. If you're going to walk in biblical purpose, if you're going to walk or understand the purpose of the gospel, you must understand the consequences for refusing to walk in God's ordained boundaries. So what Paul does next is he tells you about all this freedom. The purpose of the Christian life is for you to enjoy freedom. But then next, what he does, he does some dope. He says, but let me just scare you real quick. He says, this is what happens to those who refuse to take advantage of godly freedom. He says, this is what happens to them. He says, he says, he says number one, you are alienated from Christ-centered freedom. Look at it. It says, you are, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now, this is, a big, this is one of the most debated verses in the New Testament. Because according to you, you talk to, people get scared when they hear verses like this. Instead of just studying the verse, they get scared and stop making up theology. You know what I'm saying? See, now, what, we, what some Christians would call the Arminian, they would say that this verse says you can lose your salvation. Well, we got a multitude of verses that say you won't. Well, if, if you're a hyper-Calvinist, notice I put hyper in front of it, um, that means you're a goofy, I mean, you're, um, you're a person that believes like crazy doctrines with man, no response. I'll talk about it later. But basically, it, it doesn't, it's not, hyper-Calvinists aren't honest about what the Bible says. They try to create another Bible based on what they understand the Bible to say to them. Now, what, what, what the Arminian was, what he was saying, well, they weren't saved in the first place, the um, hyper-Calvinists. You see, the, the fact that they were severed from Christ and they fallen from grace, you, you, I mean, you, you, I mean, they weren't saved in the first place. So you got two people looking at the verse and saying, they, they, um, um, they lost their salvation because they've fallen from grace. See, you can walk away from God, but God won't walk away from you. You can walk out of God's hand. If you, how are you going to walk out of an omniscient hand? All right? That's a whole other story. If he's omniscient, that means his hand is wide in every direction. You're going to be tired in the mug trying to walk out his hand. So you can't walk out his hand. All right? But then, he's, but then the hypocrisy say, when well, a person ain't saved in the first place. He, read the verse. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to shadow Christians. He'll move their membership and came on Christian experience. That's not what he's talking about. So let's look at this word severed. Severed. The word severed is an interesting theological term, but it's actually interesting. It means as released by removal from a former sphere of control. To be removed from a sphere of control. To be discharged. To be estranged from. It denotes to be removed from Christ's sphere of operation. In other words, remember we were talking about those bonds of freedom. I'm going to talk to you about something that the church doesn't talk much about, and that's church discipline. See, if you understand church discipline, it makes this verse very clear. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 told a dude, he said, he says, whether absent from the body or, or, or present with the Lord, you know, dude had his, uh, was, was, was uh, having sexual relations with, with, his, with his stepmom. Paul said, 
fine. Y'all chilling, letting them come in the mix, holding hands, coming to the service. All right, fine. Whether absent from the body, present with the Lord, I have already delivered such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that in the day of Jesus Christ, his spirit may be saved. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, uh, uh, Demetrius and Alexander, I have delivered them over to Satan that they may be taught not to blaspheme. What does that mean? See, the church, and this is going to our ecclesiology series, but the church has a sphere of uh, given authority from Christ. When church discipline is properly done, and a person, you, you go to them with one person, they front on you. All right, you come with another group of people. This is Matthew 18. Come with another group of people. They fall back on you. They trip on you. All right, then you say, all right, so-and-so is tripping. They won't repent. What you do is we do what's called excommunication with the purpose of reconciliation. And so what you do when, you, when the congregation, when the elders have relinquished in some spiritual way, the, 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 their hands off of them, God in some sovereign way follows suit with that hand and they are delivered over to Satan. That means the freedom that Paul was talking about in verse 1 has been temporarily turned off. It means now you want to do your own thing, go on out there. Enjoy yourself. But don't expect, God says, don't expect to enjoy yourself on your own terms on my bill. God said, you're going to have to pay for it yourself. Go on out there. And so when he says, when a, but, but listen, in this context, he says, if a person does not understand the purpose of the gospel, there's a sense in which they have been removed out of Christ's sphere of influence. So therefore, they have been removed from all the enjoyments, rights, and privileges that the body gets. Community relationships, the ability to take communion, the ability to lift your hands and worship without uh, 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 grumbling and complaining, answered prayer, intercession for sanctification, although there will be intercession for restoration. But what's beautiful is when you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, verse 1 through 11, it actually talks about the guy coming back and being restored to all of the rights and privileges of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've seen this done. Church that I come out of, it was crazy. I remember a few years before they said this guy, they said, yo, um, they read a list of people off. And you all understand, I was flesh off the block. So I was like, I had my mouth open. I'm like, yo, they read names. I'm, I'm sitting up in there like, yo, they just put, putting cats on blast publicly. I'm like, yo, they, yo, this is a trip. He's like, and then he took us to the verse, walked us through the joint and said, we've been trying to walk with them for six months. We've had them in restoration classes. They won't show up. But about, but about, but about. They said, by the power invested of the elders of Blase Blase Fellowship, we have therefore delivered them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that in the day of Jesus Christ, that their spirit may be prayed, uh, 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 spirit may be uh, saved. I want you all to pray for them that God will bring them in. But if they invite you over for a meal, do not sit down with them. If they invite you, if they try to take you to the movies, don't get with them. If they try to buy, don't, because they are in a realm that you don't want to be in, and you don't want to get in the way of God's belt. Then they fell back. 
Yo, your boy was sitting up in that thing, young Christian, wet behind the ears, man. I was like, I was like, this is the craziest thing. But then all of a sudden, the elders came up a few years later. They came up a few years later and was like, kill the fatty calf, y'all, because the prodigal son has come home. And one of the dudes, his family had, his wife divorced him, family. Listen here, y'all. When I saw that thing, I mean, I laid on the ground. I was just laid out just before the Lord. I, I mean, I was broke. I mean, snot. Every, I mean, I was, the whole church went crazy. Because the grace that they had fallen from, the relationship that they had been severed from was being restored. The elders surrounded him. And they put their hands on him and said, we restore to you all of the rights and privileges and freedom that is given to those who are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. And then they came up and they remarried him and his wife. I, I, was, I, I ran up out of there, man, after that. I couldn't take it no more. Uh, I couldn't take it no more. But I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that this issue of grace This issue of understanding the purpose of the gospel is of great importance because you don't want to be alienated from the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a lot of others to say on that one, but I'm going to move because of time. But the second thing that Paul says, oh, I didn't explain falling from grace. Okay. Falling from grace real quick. He says, you have been severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law have fallen from grace. Um, so falling from grace, again, means the same thing. To, to, to have, to be taken out of, listen, this is deep. To be taken out of God's special grace for his people, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. That's God's special grace. But then also you're removed from, in some ways, to enjoying what unbelievers even enjoy, which is common grace. Common grace is the sunshine, the grass grow. God will even throw a curveball and you will be treated worse than an unbeliever. Falling from grace means the inability to enjoy a life of God's favor. And so, and so that's what he means when he talks about um, um, being a fallen from grace. It's funny. I used to I, I, I watched that movie, Mortal Kombat, back in the day. Made a dude named Raiden in that joint. Raiding this thunder dude, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That was, that was who he was, right? Um, we're doing bad up here. On the nostrils. Yeah. Um, so so Raiden, you know, in Earth realm had all of this power to do this. But, but all of a sudden, if he was in Outworld, his powers were void. That's the same way it is with grace. See, when God' grace has been removed from you, besides the ability to take you through to repentance, what will happen is, and what will happen powerfully, is that you will be like Raiden, find yourself in another realm without God's power working in you. But then he goes forward and he says, he says, for through the Spirit, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a term Paul, some believe, used to replace the word. You'll never find the word disciple in Paul's literature. You'll never find it in it. But 
um, there's the idea, which he uses a lot, called in Christ, that some people believe, some scholars believe, is the replacement of the word disciple. Because the Gentiles didn't really understand the terminology of what it meant to be a disciple. However, being in Christ, being in something, being in a community, was something that they would have deeply understand. So he said, for in Christ, he said, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. Faith working through love means faith that works in relation to and in response to God's love. In other words, obedience that flows from relationship. Obedience that flows from relationship. The second consequence. The second consequence. Our pursuit of Jesus is easily interrupted. (laughs) That's the second consequence. He says, you were wanting well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is dope. Because what he says is, is it had Paul is using the idea. He says, you were running well, but who hindered you? The word hinder means to cut in. It has the idea of, you got to understand, uh, for context, in their Olympics, they ran nude. So because they ran nude, they they ran like that so that they would be unhindered by any gear, stopping them from getting to the finish line as fast as possible. Paul says, who hindered you? You were running well. What the imagery is somebody running on the track. If you ever ran track, my wife ran track. If you ran track, then the idea is you're supposed to stay in your lane. You can't be like zigzagging, you know, crossing lanes and all that kind of carrying on. You got to stay in your lane and run. The idea is, is that you're running the Christian life. The Christian life is talked about in 1 Corinthians 9 and Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, as a marathon race, not as a sprint, a marathon. And as you are running, as you are running, somebody cuts you off and throws off the pace. Any marathon runner, any long-distance runner knows that the thing that helps you to stay in nice and long is getting a pace going. Once you get your pace going, you can get in a zone and keep going. But the idea of this is somebody came in while you were running, walking with Jesus, running with Jesus, and has interrupted your walk. He says, who came in and messed up God's system? Who's cutting in? He said, who is fronting on God's principles, causing you not to run the race with endurance? The Bible says that we are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So the question is, is who in our lives, what in our lives, hinders our ability to walk with Jesus in a powerful way? So he says, uh, um, they, they cut in. They cut in. But not only, not only, not only that, he says um, this persuasion is not from him who calls. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I like this. The third thing is our faith gets corroded. This is powerful. The whole idea of leaven and unleaven is a New Testament play on words from an Old Testament euphemism. When you look in Leviticus and you look in Exodus... Whenever the children of Israel were never to eat, it was against the law to eat um, um, leavened bread. Leavened bread is basically bread that has yeast in it. Now, Jesus used that euphemism for something in the New Testament over in in Luke chapter 51, verse 1. He took his disciples aside and says, yo, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
See, what he's saying is, is your faith should be like bread that doesn't have yeast. What does yeast do? Yeast expands the bread. The bread is actually the same size. Yeast just makes it look like it's bigger than it actually is. And so what he says, Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He said, you can't take a piece of leaven and drop it in it, because that yeast will get in some bread and inflate it. He says, you'll have fake faith. He, said, he says, a consequence of not understanding the purpose of the gospel is you'll have faith, fake faith. I believe you, God. Hallelujah. And you can say all that you want to, but when the, when, when, when the rubber meets the road, you've got to hit the ground and walk in faith. He says, it'll be, it, it'll be hypocritical faith, because you talked all this smack. Peter has a term for, he says, you are short-sighted and blind, having forgotten your former cleansing from your former sins. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through about verse 12. He says, he says, listen, he says, he says, you're, now what does it mean to be nearsighted? When I take off, oh my God, I took off my glasses, I just see nothing right now. But right now, everybody's blurry right now. I mean, I can't see nothing. But when I go to my page and I go like this, I can see it because it's near. But when I try to look far, I can't see anything. He says, a person that's not spiritually growing, a purpose person that's not walking in purpose is like a person that's nearsighted, not farsighted. So what happens is, is your faith can only, you can only believe God for what's up close, not what's out far. He says, listen, when you're not walking in biblical purpose, when you're not walking in biblical freedom, you're not a person of faith. You're not a person of faith. And one of the things is the Bible says is without faith, it is impossible to please God. That doesn't mean you don't plan, but that doesn't mean that you trust your plans. <clears throat> There's a sense when explanation ends and you have to trust God for the rest. I, re- I remember, I'll never forget, you know what I'm saying, my wife was going into surgery, get her liver transplant. <coughs> and, I, and I had my laptop out, and I was playing music on the laptop while she was going back, and the dude slipped the anesthesia, and she was going out. And, um, as, and the doors were right there, and they said, Mr. Mason, I wanted to see that liver transplant so bad. But they told me I couldn't see it because they said if something went wrong, I would probably jump in the room and start beating the doctors to death. So... They just told me, you need to fall back. So I'm walking, and I'm, carrying, I'm, I'm walking with her, and, and she's talking, and she went to sleep, and I'm playing the music. And I closed it up, and then I, I laid my hands on it, and I prayed for her. Doors went open, went back, and there was a point that I couldn't go past. And I had to go back, and I had to get in the waiting room. You know what I'm saying? Your Christian life is going to be like that, where you can only go so far but past some doors that only God could work through. Because I said, God, my wife is in your hands. She's always in your hands, but she's uniquely in your hands now in a way that she wasn't before because I'm no longer in her vicinity. See, see, when you're walking in faith, see, you got to begin to believe God for things that are farther than your technical ability to plan it out. So that means you got to pull out the leaven. See, you know that you're walking in leaven faith when you start kicking down doors that God has closed. When God has closed doors, given you ways of escape, and you're still trying to get your little button in behind in places where God has closed off, your faith is leavened. Some of you right now are stressed because 
you've walked outside of the boundaries of God's purpose, and you're trying to do life on your own. And God is saying, look, like one of the big consequences of not walking in biblical purpose is not having faith for things far. Some of you always worried about your future. Some of you always worried about who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, how much money you're going to have. you just worried, 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 worried about everything. God, you don't have peace about anything. Your faith is leavened. You're not working in the, you're not walking in the free. See, faith was meant to free us up. Faith was meant to give you freedom. You, you're supposed to be like, you know what? There's nothing else I can do about this. I can sit down and worry about this. If I can, I mean, if I can tell you about the times in my life and the times of being a pastor and the time when I'm worried about somebody, whether they're going to leave, when I'm worried about their church, when I'm worried about the building, when I'm worried about the, when the lights going to be on, when I'm worried, and I'm just sitting there just losing my mind driving in the car. And I say, what am I doing? Why, why am I sitting here losing my mind over stuff that only God's hand can change? See, but what will happen is, is the enemy will throw a little leaven in. And you'll meditate, all this faith over here, then you begin meditating on that little piece of leaven. Then the leaven starts growing. He said, that's it. That's it, Boogaboo. Keep worrying. Keep worrying. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Oh, I ain't got no faith no more. No. God wants us, listen, they, I don't know why I'm staying on this, but, 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 but God, it is not an option. A life without faith for the believer is not an option. It is not an option. I'm not talking about you jumping out on God in ways that <coughs> he didn't biblically say. But I'm saying stuff that he would do, walk in it. Because when you don't, and you do what you can do. Sometimes, remember that big sphere of freedom? Sometimes your freedom, freedom is, God, I have to trust you more by making this decision. That's probably where you want me to go. Now, if I go over here, I mean, I already know that. I can knock that out. The, but over here, I got to trust you a little bit more. Maybe I'm supposed to go that direction. You ever been there? And see, you got to begin to skillfully walk with Jesus in these ways, because this is a real deal Christianity. This ain't some flying tonight uh, arguing about some old issues that the Christian faith still been arguing about for 2,000 years. This is a real deal, ground floor, walking the block, trash under your feet, gum stuck to your soul, your sneaks, uh, faith. Real deal stuff. Cars wa- uh, in the rain, washing water up on you, faith. Missing the bus, faith. Missing the train, faith. Didn't bring my umbrella and it started raining faith. Real deal faith, family. And so that's, that's where we have to park our trucks. That's where we got to park our cars. And if you ain't got a car, park your feet. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Then finally, Paul says the last consequence, and then we'll go to our last point. He says the last consequence is... Um, our evangelism will lack power. Our evangelism will lack power. Look in the rest of the verse. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear his own penalty. He may not be a believer, probably going to hell. That's what he's saying. Real deal stuff. Whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, 
why in the heck am I still getting persecuted? That goes back to chapter 4. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul says, one of the consequences of not walking in a biblical purpose or walking in God's ordained boundaries, rather, is that the cross will lack effectiveness. Not that the cross isn't effective, but our relationship to the cross has become subpar. Paul says that the cross is supposed to be a stumbling block. Now, let me tell you this, and, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. He says it's normal for the cross to get you in trouble. He said that's normal. He says when the cross doesn't get you in trouble anymore, you're not living within God's ordained boundaries. Now, I'm not saying you're in a board meeting at work, and you just say in the middle of the board meeting, you know what I'm saying, I... I really appreciate, you know, what y'all are doing in here. But, man, I just want to share something with y'all. And this in the middle. Don't be, go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Because some of y'all, you know what I'm saying, you got to explain everything. Oh, God, you got to explain everything. For you didn't got fired and said, Pastor, I'm walking in the cross. No, you're not. You wasn't being wise at that point. So the offense of the cross, the cross being an offense is not us making it an offense. But it's the presentation of it naturally being an offense based on man rejecting trust. See, people don't like to trust nobody else. They like to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. So Paul says, no, the cross, when you begin doing a works-based salvation, then uh, then the cross begins to become ineffective. But listen to what Paul, Paul just gets mad. I just feel like Paul right now, he's real mad. I can see him writing right now, and he gets ticked off. Guess what Paul says next? He says, you know, I'm so mad. I, I wish those who unsettle would be emasculate themselves. Wow. You fool with the cross, Paul starts, Paul going to get you. Now, he didn't say he was going to do that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He said he wished they would do it. Uh, It's a euphemism for them castrating themselves, cutting off their private parts. That's how far Paul takes it. He says they're so messed up. He said, I wish, he said, know why he says that? Because they like circumcision so much. He said, if you like circumcision so much, just clip, clip. (laughs) Now, I ain't saying that. That's in the Bible. Because I ain't making nothing up. But I'm going to keep it clean. Praise Jesus. But he said, you like circumcision so much, won't you, you know, do your thing, fam. So um, last point. Last point. <laughs> That's what the Greek word means. Look it up. Um, he says, wisely walk, and lastly, wisely walk in God's ordained boundaries. I'm going to close on this. <coughs> he said, he says here, this, this is interesting, <coughs> what he says here. He says, for you were called to freedom. He repeats it. He says, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Powerful. Powerful. He said, this is how you know you're walking in God's ordained boundaries. Know how you know? If your freedom serves others. Real simple. He says, does your, is your freedom, I, I'm free in Christ. You know what I'm saying? I'm free in Christ. He says, I, I, 
you know, I will. Man, listen, I'm sick of people talking about their freedom, and it's always an obstruction of spiritual justice. It's always, really, when people say, I'm free in Christ, and they're yelling it, that means they don't want you to tell them nothing. Don't hold me accountable. I'm free. I'm free. I don't know what you thought. I'm free. And they do it like this. I'm free. But Paul says, Paul says, Paul, Paul wants them not to go to other pendulum. Because, see, see, Paul always balances stuff out. See, see, he, he knows that the, the, the whole law thing got them going by works. So now that he's going freedom, 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 he doesn't want them to go the other direction. Freedom without boundaries. He says, this is a good barometer for you to know whether or not you're walking in biblical freedom. If it serves others and serves you, but not and serves God, but then this, this also, if it doesn't put you and others in bondage. If your freedom puts somebody else in bondage, you stop walking in God's ordained boundaries. Hold your finger here and go over to... Um, Go over to um, Romans chapter 14. I'll just read that. <laughs> Romans chapter 14. He says in verse 13, he says, therefore, oh, I'll wait till you get there. Romans, there we go. All right. Verse 13, he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. He says, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of your brother. You hear the language? The same word for hindrance, I believe, is the same word used over there. So your freedom can cut somebody's Christian faith off. Wow. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. He says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. See, serving a brother or sister in Christ is the ultimate way of love. It's love on wheels, family. So he says, he says, but what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. So do not let uh, what you regard as good be spoken evil of. I like the King James. It says ill of. For the kingdom of God is not, is not a matter of eating, drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual mutual building up verse 23 but whoever uh, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin wow so you have here a situation where specifically talking about food and dietary laws but what's dope about this is when we take our freedoms, that's why we got to be careful, especially our generation, because we're taking contextual freedoms, and we want to take those contextual freedoms. You know, um, um, but one of the things that we want to be careful of is if our contextual freedoms, not sharing the gospel with others, but our contextual freedoms get in the way of people's edification. 
For instance, I had some older people come to Epiphany. Recently, we had some older people come, and some of our fellows had on do-rags and hoodies while they were serving communion. They came to me afterwards and said, look, fam, like, I mean, I know what y'all are trying to do, but just know that for us, y'all, we don't say anything about anything else, but this part is a stumbling block to us. So I went to the guys and said, look, we got to take all that off so that we, because if we say, no, man, you know, say I'm free in Christ. That, see, that's when you ain't serving no more. And so we want to make sure that our freedom isn't us in how we date, in how we date. Does your, is the way you do life, does your Christian life disciple people without words? That's the center of what Paul is talking about. You can meet with somebody every week if you want to. I do that. But when people see you, do they see service and sanctification or do they see something else? Does the way you talk to your wife, fellas, does it serve? Does the way wives you talk to your husbands, does it serve? Brothers and sisters, it's how you date. How you try to holler at somebody? Does it serve others? The way, the, the, the way you live life, your work ethic, does it serve the other Christians on your job? Or are you always late? My bad. <laughs> late bus, huh? <laughs> Bash you in your. Your life was meant to serve. And the center of walking in God's boundaries is serving others. Your life should be a pictorial of what things look like when someone walks with Jesus. That means, let me ask you this. Does, does your humility, when you're wrong, serve others? I got you. Um, when somebody brings a charge against you, do you, I mean, I don't know. I think that's just in your view, you know, I mean, but that's all you always, I mean, that's just your take on it. But, I, I mean, I have a Christian life, too, so I don't know if I would admit that. Or do you say, you know what, no matter what, I, I really apologize for that. Um, is the way we apologize, does it serve others? Or do we grudgingly say, I'm sorry? See, everything in our life has to serve. And, and of course, as a leader, it always is magnified on you like a magnifying glass. But to every believer, people are watching you Christians. And so Paul, in saying this, says, this is our call. He says, for for you were called to freedom. Anytime, anybody, remember what you're called to do. The Bible says, you, a lot of people ask, what am I called to do? Look in the Bible for the word called and look at context clues and see what it say about it. <laughs> people always ask, am I called to do this? Am I called to do this? No, before you ask for God to send something through prayer and fasting, go to the Bible and look, just look up call or calling. I picked out a couple of them for us. You want to know what you're called to do? This is a short stack. You know, you get a short stack of pancakes, not a full stack. I'm going to give you a short stack, all right? 
Proclaim Jesus when the open door comes, Acts chapter 16, 10. To enjoy Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 9. Call to be peace, have peaceful marriage relationships, 1 Corinthians 7, 15. Singleness or marriage, some people are called a singleness, some people are called a marriage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 17. To continue to grow spiritually, Philippians 3, 14. Enter his rule and reign, to be in his rule and reign, and that to be a part of our walking in sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 2, 12. Acts chapter 16, 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 17, Philippians chapter 3, 14, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 12. <laughs> Calling. So if you want to know what you're called to do, look at some verses that look at what every believer is accountable for. Don't look for no new information. I'm going to pray, God, what am I called to do? Oh, I'm called to do that. Bad out. That's good. But we don't, we don't abhor subjective callings, but it should be submitted to a biblical calling first. And so when he, said, when he says here, he says, you were called to freedom. In other words, you were called. This is the calling of the believer. The believer was called to enjoy God, to enjoy his people, and to enjoy his creation on his terms. That's it. That's your calling. So walk in the calling with which you have been called today. This week, embrace the biblical calling. God's ordained boundaries, enjoy them. But see, when you stop walking in God's boundaries, you're enjoying God's creation, enjoying people on your own terms. So our calling is to enjoy God, enjoy his people, and enjoy his creation on his terms. Enjoy God. Enjoy his creation and enjoy his people on God's terms. I took my wife out for the day, a date and clothes. We went on a date last week. That was fun too, baby. And um, you know what I'm saying? Took my sweetie out. We held hands with the wind passing by and carrying on. <laughs> Holding hands at um. I went in this restaurant, man, and um, man, we sat down at the thing. We didn't get reservations. It was a nice joint. Actually, down the street on on Broad. Sitting down in there, man, we sitting at the thing, watching the chefs cook and everything. And, man, they were laying out this stuff. I was like, and I'm always an adventurous person, so I always like to try something I never had. I had rabbit ragu. Rabbit ragu. It was actually booming. <laughs> it was booming. I had rabbit ragu. It was, it was rabbit with some type of, it was dope. It was, oh, my God, it was banging. Then they, then the dude, then the dude, the, the chef liked us, so he sent us out some roasted rag, uh, 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 some roasted rabbit, amen, on, on some, on a cornmeal paste. Yeah. And so, um, me and my wife, he was just sending us stuff. And then he said, to, he said, I want y'all to enjoy. I think we were the first black people that came in the joint. And so, um, and so what happened was he just started sending us stuff. Y'all got to bring more black people here. Bring them back in here. So he started bringing, sending stuff out. Cause we were looking around, we was like, baby, uh, oh, enjoy. And so, <laughs> we ordered one dessert. He gave us a dessert platter. Hallelujah for free. <laughs> and guess what we did? We ate and kissed on each other and held hands and, and skipped out of that joint with a low bill. Amen. <laughs> and guess what, what happened the whole time while we were in there? We enjoyed God's freedom. When you enjoy God's freedom, God will send you stuff just for free. Just, just, you begin enjoying God's life, and stuff will just come your way. 
But you gotta, you gotta begin to lose yourself. That's what Paul meant in Philippians three: lose yourself in Him. Lose yourself in this Christian life. This is the most. You're in the best place when you become a Christian. Maybe you're here today, and you're not able to walk in God's ordained freedom because you're still under the yoke of slavery. Jesus, just as he's offered to those of us who are getting real excited, he offers to you salvation too. He offers that to you. And so we want you to, 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 to give you the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ, that Christ alone is Savior. Every head bow and every eye closed. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're here today. And, and, and you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You would admit that you talked about Adam's sin. I'm still under Adam in the sense of me walking in agreement with his sin. That's you. And, 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 and you know that all of us have fallen short of God's standard. You've fallen short of God's standard. Every last one of us, the Bible says, has fallen short of God's standard. And you would say, yes, that's me again. You got me. I'm, I'm a child of Adam. I'm, 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 I'm always falling short of God's standards. Matter of fact, I don't even consider them. So that's how I know that I'm not even in the vicinity of walking in God's standards. Well, God sent Jesus Christ to keep the standards we couldn't keep of God and then died on the cross and was raised up from the grave. And he said, if anybody believe in Christ and Christ alone, the God-man, they'll be saved. If that's you, just slip your hand up in the air. That's you. That's you. That's you. Slip your hand up. Slip your hand up. I see that hand. Yeah. That's you. You never trusted Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Anybody else willing to take the time? Okay. In your bulletin is a card. I want you to fill that card out and lay it on the back table right out in the lobby when we're finished. Maybe that was you. You also wanted to trust Christ. You didn't slip your hand up in the air. You could fill that card out, put it on the table. And our counseling ministry, our brand spanking new counseling ministry, they're going to follow.